The future has never been brighter for CRNAs, and we're not going away. There's no way to deny us. We're experiencing the most disruptive time in the history of healthcare. With this podcast, I'm going to connect you with industry and CRNA thought leaders to help you thrive in these unprecedented times. I'm your host, Randy Moore, CEO of the AANA, and this is the Moving the Needle podcast. Today on the show, we have Sharon Pearson. We're going to talk about some really interesting and, quite frankly, wide-ranging topics. Uh, going to be really fun. We're going to talk about her career as a leader within the association at the state level, at the national level. She's obviously been a former president of the organization. We'll talk about advocacy in a little bit more detail beyond that. We'll talk about her podcast and, and the work that she's doing to advance the profession. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Okay, Sharon. Uh, this is I've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, you're a, a podcast expert. I am far from that. I, and just to just to clear the air here for everybody who's listening, I, I think your podcast is amazing, and I'm happy to amplify it through this podcast and through any channels because I think you, you and Jeremy are doing some amazing work. Well, we appreciate that, and I know that you will do a great job with this, just like you do a great job with everything else. I don't know. I'm just a simple country anesthetist, is what as Larry Hornsby would say. <laughs> all this technology. I'm actually doing this on my. I mean, I, I've got it all set up here. I'm poking buttons that they've told me to press, and I'm hoping that this works. If not, I will have to do this again. But I, I'm pretty sure this one's going to work. Oh, it'll be fine. And an editor can clean up a Very lot fine. of things. Editors make us sound really good in the end. They just, however, cannot make me go a little bit faster in my speech. <laughs> 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 well, I'll tell you this, and, and then we'll, we'll get into it. I so I had the privilege of serving on your board. I was a region director. It was your uh, your um, your president, mm-hmm. and I have been around for a little bit. I think you have too. Uh, I think that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> you are d- dynamic, meaning that you know I I I think I can. It's almost like you were a rock star. I, I remember walking around, and you still are, but you know, working with you on the board and watching folks when we go to the meetings, the mid-year assemblies and, and the annual Congress, and people would line up to have their picture taken with you. I've worked with a lot of presidents, a lot of great presidents uh, you know, when I was on the board and, and, of course, in this role, but no one comes close to the rock star persona that you had as, as president. You've got a gift, and, and, uh, and, I, and you apply it, right? So you're doing the podcasting. You're, you're really into advocacy in a meaningful way. You've done lobbying. Uh, you, you've ran for office, which I'd love to get into. And you've been able to develop what is clearly a skill and, and apply it in multiple areas of your life. Well, that was really nice of you to say. I, I, been, um, I, I meant half of it. Okay. Well, good. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll take I'll take that half okay. then, I guess. But that's really kind of you to say that. And if you can hear the dog barking okay. in the background, that is the love of my husband's life barking uh-huh. in the background. Yeah, he kisses the dog every morning on his way out the door and uh-huh. walks out and doesn't even say anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> is it one of those little like ankle biters? Um, yeah, it, it is. But she weighs six pounds, okay. and and she wears a little pink collar. And then Pierce carries her around, oh and goodness. he has his pink shirt on, and he's six foot three, and that's quite a sight to see. Does he have a but, dog purse? Is there a dog purse involved? 
a dog purse. <laughs> you mean like uh, what was that show with the uh, the girl who went back to law school to follow her boy? Oh, Clueless. No, no, no. Oh gosh, she went to Harvard. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, um, no, don't know. But thank you for that. I would like to think that the skills that I had, I, I was able to use within the organization. And obviously, I use them all the time in advocacy and lobbying. So yeah. I appreciate that. I've heard you say a number of times when I was on the board with you and, and after and, and certainly on your podcast that CRNAs are the smartest people that, that you know. Mm. And I, I get that you're biased. Uh, but I what, don't think so. They are. They are absolutely. You can't fill them up. And what I mean by that is when you talk to CRNAs and ask them about what they do outside of anesthesia, what they do is amazing. They mm. they have what side hustles, um, all kinds of talents. I know Betsy had posted on CRNA, SRNA, put up your other talents. Mm. And there were over 800 comments and pictures, all of the different things that CRNAs do. It, it, it's amazing. They're just so talented. And it's, and it's like they're always looking for something else. Like they're, yeah. you can't feel their brain. I love that about CRNAs. I think that's true. And one of the things that strikes me when I talk to CRNAs, and this is what I think is a real, like when I, when I work with leaders or when I'm interviewing leaders or observing leaders, one of the things that I see consistently that is a, a real differentiator in terms of a skill is curiosity. Mm-hmm. And, and CRNAs are really curious. Uh, and, and, and there's a, you know, whether it's through, you know, advocacy, mm-hmm. through, through business, ed, uh, you know, ventures, uh, whether it's in leadership at the AANA and, and at the state level, I'm always consistently impressed with not only how smart they are, but how curious they are too. Absolutely. Well, see, I recognize that you were smart. First thing, <laughs> whenever you walked in the door. No, yeah, I don't and, know. You and, haven't and, talked to my wife recently. <laughs> well, you never talk to the wife about those things anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, you've been married long enough to know that anyway. But that was one thing about you. Whenever you come in, now you are an introvert by nature. True. And you have really come out in your role as CEO. And I always appreciate that of people who are introverts. And Mm -hmm. I enjoy watching that process. I'm an extrovert. So, you know, you put me in a room full of people and I'll know everybody in the room and have their cell phone numbers. And and I get jazzed up by that. And introverts usually will make themselves do it, but it's exhausting for them. But you, when you first got on the board, you were quiet, but Mm -hmm. initially, but everybody knew that when you spoke, you need to listen to it because it was important. It was important. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. And and thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about myself a little bit here. So no, just kidding. You know, one of the things that I would say. (laughs) Well, well, let me ask you a question. Does uh, it tire you out? To be in a, a as a, a an introvert normally, yeah. does it tire you out sometimes? I the mean, answer is I, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, I, so, so introversion, extroversion, as you kind of like on a spectrum, right? So, mm-hmm. I'm probably, I'm definitely the needle points towards introversion on mm-hmm. me, and, and I'm maybe situationally ambivert, just to confuse things like where I, I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable in, in speaking to two thousand people mm-hmm. at once. I can be very uncomfortable with a one-on-one conversation, which makes no logical sense whatsoever. 
Uh, so well, that's because you can pretend those 2000 people aren't out there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it, it it's one of those things where that's, you know, I knew in early in my leadership career that I have a, a predisposition towards introversion and that's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I needed to be able to kind of get outside of that. And if I wanted to be effective in, in leading teams and leading people. And yes, so when I go to an AA meeting, I love it. I love meeting people. I love networking. I, I love the hallway conversations. I love all of that. But by the end of the day, I'm ready to close the, mm-hmm. the hotel door and, and then get my energy back just being by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet so. Now, uh, let me ask you another question. On Even though you're supposed to be doing the interview. No, this is fine. <laughs> this is Whenever, uh, during this whole COVID situation, and you have to speak over Zoom, mm-hmm. and I've done a lot of meetings over Zoom, state meetings, virtual meetings, and I don't like it. Yeah. as a speaker because I work a room mm-hmm. and I feed off the room. And on Zoom, you have no idea if you're landing or not. <laughs> it's a different um, approach. I agree. I, I th- Just like you, you know, it, I you get your energy from the people that you're speaking with and mm-hmm. you know if you're resonating and you know when they start looking at their phones uh, that you're boring them. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that you would ever have that problem, but I do. When but you're, you're right. You do yeah. watch that. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're talking to a computer screen, it's a different approach. It's it's more about, look, I, I don't know if this is hitting. I don't know if this is resonating. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're asleep. I don't know what's going on. So it's more about just kind of being focused on on, on delivering information in, in the most impactful way possible. Mm-hmm. But I agree. It's it doesn't come close to to the to the real deal. It makes you wonder what's going to happen in the future with all of that. Are we uh, talk about that from the AANA side? Is are yep. we going to go to a hybrid type of thing going forward? Because I know that some people really enjoy that that mm-hmm. that way to get their content. Yeah, I, I think that that train has left the station. You know, COVID. People talk about COVID as a change agent, and I see it more as an accelerant, meaning that, mm-hmm. yeah, we were, we were having conversations in the building about, well, we should do hybrid meetings, and maybe we'll do it in 2022, maybe 2023, and all of the technology and, and, and logistical issues, and then COVID hit, and you're like, okay, you got six weeks <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to develop a fully virtual meeting, get to work, and that, you know, we moved several years forward in a matter of months because that's what crisis does. So I, I do think that in the future, when we talk about the annual Congress and mid-year assembly, and maybe even some of the other meetings, that there, they will be, there will be a hybrid component of that for people who are not able to, to come to wherever we're at. So they can, so they can participate from home because maybe mm-hmm. they're on call mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, or, or maybe life circumstances prevent them from, from coming in. But I still think at the end of the day, the, the real connection comes with us being together at these meetings uh, and, and networking, sharing ideas, sharing a, you know, a drink at the bar or having a drink at the bar. I, and so I, I think that even the hybridization of our meetings, I think it will actually increase our in-person attendance over time. Really? Yeah. Go on. Tell me, tell me more. So there's, there's some data that, that indicates that organizations that do a hybrid meeting will, will realize, well, 30% of the people who participate or participate, excuse me, in a hybrid meeting will then subsequently attend an in-person meeting two to really? three years after that. So it is, yes, I mean, for, I think it's, yeah, people who, for circumstances, they have to attend or they, they want to attend remotely, but then they'll say, wow, this is cool. I want to be a part of that. I want to see what this looks like and feels like in person. Interesting. It's going to be interesting how you handle the financial piece of that mm-hmm. and how would you 
budget. I mean, yeah. anyway, I ask a lot of questions. Oh yeah, and these are the questions. These are the conversations and the decisions we're making now. These are, but these are fun problems to solve. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I'm pretty confident that you know COVID. Like COVID's a nightmare uh, in so many different ways. I mean, this is like the one-year anniversary from yeah, you know, when this thing hit. I I remember this time last year, I was I was on a plane to Washington D.C. and I was in the White House talking to the president and president-elect. And then after that, we came home and we shut the offices down, and uh, and we've been in a virtual work environment ever since. And it's a you know, it's just been a complete nightmare of a year uh, in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. Half a million or more people are gone, who've died from this thing. But we also have to appreciate and discuss the fact that I believe the AANA is going to come out of this a much better, stronger organization. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to thrive because mm-hmm. of COVID-19, which mm-hmm. sounds weird, uh, mm-hmm. but is the fact, and, and is a fact. And so once we get through this, I think we'll, we'll be, we already are a better organization because now, of it. How many, how many people are actually in the office now? Are a lot of them still virtual? You're looking at it. So I, so we're, you know, I'm You're going from the You're office because because <laughs> the technology's here, but that's it. It's a ghost town. There's like tumbleweeds going wow. down the hall. Uh, uh, I think I saw a wolf wow. walking down. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're fully, we're fully virtual. Uh, I haven't, you know, made the decision. I've made the decision that we're not even going to entertain coming back to the building until October 1. Okay. Uh, and, yeah. And, and then we'll see. I, I think that it's looking good with the vaccinations, but yeah, it's, it's it. It's, it's surreal to have these buildings mm. empty for over a year. Yeah, makes you wonder what's going to happen to all the commercial rental property. I'm glad that was not my mm. side hustle. Mm-mm. Mm. Yeah, it's it's ugly out there with commercial. Uh, now the residential. I know we're getting way off topic. The residential property is uh, is it, it's blistering hot. You can't buy a house here. Yeah, I uh, can imagine. Yeah, it's the, they're, they're, imagine. they're selling pre market. Oh, well, that's crazy. Not having anybody put bubble bath in the front fountain as of late. There. <laughs> no, I guess no, the fountain's been off for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about, I'm really curious about your experience. We're both, I would characterize as political animals, and I mean that in, in, in a good way. I mean, mm-hmm. we see the value, the importance, uh, the necessity of politics, uh, particularly as they relate to CRNA practice. But you, you went for it. You, you know, you, you put your butt out on the line and you ran for political office. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Interesting, interesting. And, you know, I don't want to scare CRNAs off from running for office, but they came after me pretty hard. Mm. But you've got to remember, I had just come off of being AANA president. Mm. I threw my hat in the ring a month and 13 days after I walked across the stage for that last time as AANA president. Mm. And, you know, not only was it that close to being president, but I had a long history in North Carolina of defending our practice rights. In 2005, an, a bill was introduced for supervision of nurse anesthetists in North Carolina to put it into statute. Mm. And we fought for three long years and to the the opposite side gave $1.2 million to our state legislature. Now, to put that in perspective, their national pack at that time only had $2 million in it. Mm. So every time you would go talk to a legislator, they would say, you're going to lose. This has been greased. You're going down. And, you know, we had, I had lots of relationships with legislators. That sounds a little odd. I ha- <laughs> 
<laughs> but I knew a lot of legislators and I had been down in Raleigh a lot. And during that process, I would I would go down there two and three days a week whenever we were enduring that battle. Eventually had to register as a lobbyist because uh, there are laws in North Carolina. And if you are in our legislature, uh, I think it's 5% of your work time you have to register as a lobbyist. So I had to register because I was down there two and three days a week. Mm-hmm. And we beat them. We beat them. So my picture was on the homepage of their website for quite some time. You're a lightning, you're a lightning <laughs> rod. Right? I mean, you know, that's funny. That's what Jeremy calls me. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly what he calls me. So I had a, a lot of reasons for them to, to come after me. And I ran for a seat, uh, an open seat that had normally cost about $8,000 to win. Mm. Whenever I put my committee together, I called a CRNA who was a political animal like we are. And I asked her to run my campaign. Her name is Kimberly Gordon. Mm-hmm. And we were, I call it, we were face friends. When we saw each other, we waved. We knew each other. We didn't run in each other's circles per se, but I knew she was smart and I knew that she knew a lot about politics and strategy. And so she consented to run my campaign. All right. So $8,000 to win this seat. It's going to be a three-way race, which is always hard. I don't care who's running a three-way race. Even for an AANA election, it's sure. a difficult race. Yeah. So uh, when I put my team together, I also had a CRNA who did my financial piece of it. And we put together a budget and thought we could do a really good job and we could win if I could raise $17,000. CRNAs across this country came out. I raised $67,000, and believe it or not, most of it was from outside of my own state. They they came through. I was the third person, third CRNA in the country to run for office, and uh, Deb Barber had run Mm -hmm. in Kentucky. Lee Bias had run in West Virginia. Ultimately, I raised $67,000. The other side opened up a super PAC, dark money, and dropped a quarter of a million in it. So whenever I talk to Pierce, my husband, I say, baby, am I worth a quarter of a million dollars? (laughs) Um, And of course, being the man he is, he goes, oh, baby, you're worth a million dollars easily. (laughs) They got out cheap. (laughs) But it was interesting. The the story that I I think, the story I'm telling myself about that is I think they, they, they saw you as a significant potential political threat. I mean, oh, if, if, yeah, sure. if, if they, they thought for that this was anything other than an existential crisis, they would not have called out the hounds like that and, and put so much money and time and, re- and, and other and political resources into that. And what did it feel like to be, to have a bullseye, you know, I, prefer, you know uh, metaphorically speaking, a, a, a bullseye on you. Sure, sure. You know, they did push polling against mm-hmm. me. And what push polling is, is they will call under the guise of doing a poll, and then they push information out. In other words, they would call and say, um, "Would you? do you like the ACA? And when somebody would answer, they would say, well, do you realize that Sharon Pierce thinks that there yeah. are good parts to the ACA? And those kind of things. They ran TV commercials uh, against me. We had had a Speaker of the House that I had... Um, worked with a lot and he had 
wound up going to jail later. So the mm. the commercials would Another have house. me and <laughs> and then it would have bars coming down across my face. And in the South, whenever you go to restaurants, a TV is always on in most restaurants somewhere. And we would be sitting there and all of a sudden you'd see the commercial with me up there and people would be have their fork halfway up to their mouth and look at me <laughs> and look at the TV. Yes. They, uh, everything, they were sending out three mailers a week how I would hurt veterans' health care. I would kill veterans. They would, um, you know, but the picture that they had of me on there was one that was actually made right after I left the business, one of the uh, meetings at Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And I, ha- I have I have a peace sign up with my fingers. And oh. that was what they used in all of my, the ad campaigns that they pushed out. Mm-hmm. And I'm a walker and I would be out on the road and people would come by and blow their horn and throw up the peace sign at me. It was, it was, it was interesting. You have to have a thick skin, Mm -hmm. but I already had a pretty thick skin from being AA and a president, um, which is a very tough role. And I can't imagine being CEO because that, that continues on and on. And I tell people the things that make CRNAs difficult to lead are the very things that make us great. Yeah. I mean, they they question, they push, they, I mean, all the, th- yes, all yeah. the things that have got, have, have gotten us where we are. I mean, we are not laid back people. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jeremy's always teasing me, my co-host on the podcast. Oh, y'all are also laid back. You're not opinionated. You <laughs> don't tell what you're thinking what you think, which all CRNAs do that, but it, it makes us difficult to lead. I tell people, you know, if we talk about the context of individual strengths, I say in, any strength that is over leveraged becomes a weakness. <laughs> and so it's like, if you think about, uh, yeah, I've been, I look, I'm biased, obviously, because I'm a nurse anesthetist and I'm the CEO of the organization. But a lot of the success that we've had, the reason why we are so influential, the reason why our, our influence and our impact is, is, is growing is because we're, we're not to be messed with. I mean, we, sure. we're, and, and that, you know, we, we are comfortable punching above our weight and that we're comfortable. Oh, I like advocating. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, and, and that's great. And, and it's, it's why that our, you know, our, our predecessors, uh, and I think you've, I've heard you say that we, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why we're here. But sometimes, yeah, it's a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, hey, let's let's. Whenever you're in the crosshairs, right. yeah, like, oh, well, <laughs> let's take it down a notch here. <laughs> well, like the Pentagon. That's so right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, now back to running for office. CRNAs have 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 got to run for office, and Deb uh, Deb mm. Barber from Kentucky always friend says, of both of us. Yeah. Yes, says that this sh- it should be a retirement job for CRNAs. To, to run for office. Now, we did just have two CRNAs elected in South Dakota, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we interviewed them on the podcast and the medical community did not really come after them that, uh, that badly whenever they ran for office. And so we started looking, and when I say we, Kimberly and I started looking at some of these states. And one reason why CRNAs wouldn't run for office is money. In North Carolina, uh, if you are a legislator, you make $13,900 a year. Mm -hmm. 
that's most CRNAs aren't not going to be able to to do that because most of them are the breadwinners of their family. However, in South Dakota, I think they have a 60-day session. That's yeah. it. Um, and there are some states that have 30-day sessions. So maybe what we need to do is start targeting those states that have short sessions like that because you could take 30 days yeah. off and and uh I think Jana from uh, the office or somebody sent me the list. There, There's a list of what all the sessions are in the state. I could have gotten it myself, but thank God after your president, they'll still answer your emails yeah. <laughs> after you're gone despite, and send despite it what to I you. told them to. I told them yeah, to. that's yeah. right. They And they told me on the email, Brandy told us not to send this to you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah. maybe it's something as an organization. The other thing that I've always thought that we need to think about in, and I'm using North Carolina, of course, that's what I know. As an example, we have a lot of school teachers in our general assembly. Well, 63 cents of every tax dollar goes to education in North Carolina. And there, there's a reason mm. why, you know, if you are represented by teachers and what they do is when teachers are elected, and I don't know the legalities of how they do this, what they do is they bring their salary up to... So, it, it, for example, I'm not doing this very well, but if they make $55,000 a year and their salary is 13900 as a legislator, the organization brings the, meets mm-hmm. that wow. so that they'll still run for office. Actually, I still have a proposal that I gave to Paul Santoro in 2010 that said we needed to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we needed to find... CRNAs that could win in office and we needed to supplement, that's the word I'm looking, supplement their income up to the level that they were. Yeah, that's intriguing. That's a- and they would, run, they would run for office, but that's the reason why we don't run. Yeah. If, if, if you told me today that money was no object, what would I do? Mm. That's, I mean, I would, I would run. I'd be Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. I would, how many times did, I mean, you're right there in Illinois. He ran how many times before he finally won? It was a lot. He was not a particularly successful politician until he was. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. You exactly. Think, you know, you've had the ability to look at the organization from different perspectives as a state leader and then at the national level on the board and then of course president. And now you're, you're, you're influencing the position or the profession in a little bit of a different position. What do you see as the, the future? Are, are you half glass, are you half full uh, glass or glass half empty? The future has never been brighter for CRNAs. I mean, from the start of my training till now, it's been 30 years. And what I have seen in the last 30 years, there's no way to deny us. We are a valuable part of the system, and we're not going away, even though uh, the ASA put out 1937, they were going to get rid of us, and they still have not gotten rid of us, and it's just not going to happen, and the good thing coming up even more in my mind are the ones who are coming up behind us. I know that some people have 
some trepidation, but I think it's always, I'm sure that whenever I was going yeah. through school, there were CRNAs who were older than I was that are saying, all oh, these kids, they don't know what it's like. But millennials, and not to group everybody together, but they have no fear. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's going to serve our, our profession well. But we're coming to a point where I truly believe that it's the perfect storm. You know, COVID, just like you said, was is a bad thing, but it has pushed everything uh, about healthcare into the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And it's pushed CRNAs into the spotlight. It's pushed nursing into the spotlight. It's a good thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I also agree with you that, you know, I... I, I don't entertain the conversation that the, the generation behind us is any less right. or, or they're different, <laughs> just like sure. every generation, sure, generation sure. is different than, than the one that comes before or after it. But I, I talk to these, these folks, you know, I'd lecture, I'm sure you do too, at nurse anesthesia programs. These are bright, bright mm. people and they are ambitious and they're motivated You're not kidding. and they're dedicated and, and they're going they're gonna, to they're gonna do a lot more uh, than I think some people give them credit for in terms of shaping healthcare and, and the future of this specialty. I have no doubt. I have no concerns whatsoever. Now, talking about the AANA, and obviously I have some biases, but I, I still remember when I got, was first elected to the board in 2010, and I had been active at the state level um, I had served on national committees, and I knew our organization was was good. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Whenever you get in there and you see firsthand all the inside workings, every I'm, we have 125 employees, give or take. Mm-hmm. We we have an office in Washington D.C. The insurance services, um, the office on uh, you know, uh, down uh, in Park Ridge, and every the, and the people that we have working for us, we are so incredibly fortunate. They yeah. believe in us sometimes more than we believe in ourselves, yeah. and it is just uh, to, to to be a part of it. And uh, you know, I know that some people may say, "Well, you're supposed to say that you were you were president, whatever." It, it you have to see it for yourself. Um, and the I do believe, I firmly believe that the reason why nurse anesthesia is where it's at today is because of, we have one professional association, one accrediting body, and one credentialing body. And I think that's what makes us strong. The nurse practitioners, I interviewed the president of the nurse practitioners on our Mm -hmm. podcast, and they have two credentialing bodies. And I said, okay, so which one are you credentialed by? She said, well, high-performing nurse practitioners are credentialed by both. Well, what are CRNAs but Mm -hmm. high performers? And, you know... It just, that's where our strength has come in. Nursing has a problem because they're so fragmented. Mm. There's an association for everything. Mm. We have one association and it is strong. Yeah. I, I And I'll add to that, that 
you know, looking at the, again, I'm, I might be even more biased than you are because I'm the CEO. I, I am, I am consistently impressed with the, the quality of, of dedication, of experience, of, of passion that our, our staff have to, to the profession. And, and I always, you know, come with like, I wish, I wish, wish the members could see what I see day in and day mm-hmm. And it is truly, you know, you know, the privilege of a lifetime to be leading the organization, particularly as it relates to leading this amazing staff that only actually has what three CRNAs. There's only three CRNAs who, who are employed by the AANA. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the folks here are, uh, you know, just as dedicated as I am. And, mm-hmm. and that's, and that's exciting. Uh, and, and, and humbling to be a part of that, to lead that team. I have a question for you. Okay. So last year has been like been a year like no other. True. What's something you've changed your mind about? <laughs> well, uh, not necessarily this last year, I guess, but something big that I've changed my mind about in the last few years is I went back to school. <laughs> mm. And I always said, I'm never going back. I'm never going back. Um, and then, of course, this whole DMP thing came about that was not of our design. It came through the AACN. And I said, why would I do that? I've been at the top of my game. I, I can't go any higher than being the president. So I'm not going back. And I did go back. And I am getting ready to complete my degree. And it's been an enlightening experience for me. You. Uh, maybe can teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, It was also difficult. I mean, if you are young, go while you can. Now, in my defense, they didn't even have the DMP degree. (laughs) But how your brain works is a little bit different. It, uh, you know, I used to could study and I'd have kids running around and uh, music playing, TV on, and I could still get everything in. Now it's a little bit different. I had to go back and take statistics because I hadn't oh, had it in 28 or yeah. 29 years. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Um, and it was online. Uh, so that was a whole new experience, which I was, was interesting, but it, 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 it's been a good thing. I wasn't really on board to begin with. And I can say that now I couldn't say that a few years ago, whenever I was president, I had some real questions about that and how it would affect our profession long-term. But I still remember what Sandy tells me. It doesn't matter how many degrees you've got. If you can't maintain the airway, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. (laughs) Um, But that's the one, the one biggest thing that I've changed my mind about. And uh, Jim Walker helped me change my mind too. There were uh, uh, several people. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Um, So I think it's going to be good for the profession going forward. I think it's going to be rocky because there's such pushback from the medical community mm. but I still want to be called Sharon not Dr. Pierce only my husband <laughs> has to call me that's Dr. Right. Pierce <laughs> that's that, that, that's the joke that I so when people introduce me or ask if how I want to be referenced I said I only make my kids call me Dr. Moore that's it, it. Is, yeah that's which it. is not true but <laughs> some days I have you know, yeah. we were at Fall Assembly, and it was during Open Forum, and I, Marty Macri, he's from Hopkins, I believe, he had spoken at our meeting, and he's written several books, and one of his premises was that 
you know, the off balance that happens uh, in medicine and mm-hmm. the aviation industry has already figured this out a long time ago is if you don't call each other by their fir- your first names. Yeah. And aviation got rid of, uh, you know, the formalities in the cockpit a long time ago. But medicine has been late coming to that game. But anyway, the point of this, he said, when he is in an operating room, he has everybody in the room call him Marty. Because, I mean, think about it. We call them Dr. So-and-so, and then they turn around in front of a patient and call me Sharon. Mm-hmm. So there's an off balance right there. And we were in the open forum and I know one of my board members, you would have been up on the stage at that time. Mark Auden asked a question of me and he said, Madam President. And I turned around and I said, I'm Sharon to everybody here. I'm only Madam President to my husband. (laughs) And I will tell you when I walked out of that room and went down the hallway when during the break, the change in people was palpable. Mm -hmm. Everybody was, hey, Sharon, hey, Sharon, hey, Sharon. And they felt the freedom to be able to just approach you and talk to you. And that's another reason why I was always on the floor whenever I spoke to members, because I am no different, no better. I just have, they happen to give me the opportunity to be their president. And even during the business meeting, and I called, uh, I was told, I couldn't do that, and I did it anyway, and talked to the the people who were running the sound and everything, and they marked on the floor where the two lines I could go go between, but that's the reason why I was on the floor, because you need to be with the members. Yeah, well, that's great, and 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 we're lucky to have you. The members are lucky to have you. Organizations lucky to have you. I'm lucky to have you as my guest today. It has been my pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us, Sharon. That was uh, a lot of fun. And thank you to the listeners. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. And if you did, tell your colleagues about us at Moving the Needle. Uh, And we look forward to seeing you again in the very near future on a future episode.